Hey, this is Brent Ingersoll from King's Church. Thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. I pray that this message you're about to hear empowers you, encourages you, challenges you, and equips you to live the life that Jesus has for you. Thanks for tuning in. Well, welcome, King's Church. Thank you so much for joining us wherever you are in the King's Church extended family. Everybody in PEI, shout out to you, the growing group of people in Charlottetown, folks that are in Halifax, everybody in St. John area, everybody in KV, and then wherever else you are, we are just glad you're joining us today at watch parties, at the Valley Campus, wherever it is that you are, we are really grateful and really honored that you would join us. And I just pray that God has something to say to you as we talk about something that I believe is on his heart for our church as we continue a series we're calling the 246 Reformation. Now, before we jump into that, I'm going to get you caught up on what that's all about. I want to ask you a question. Have you ever ended up somewhere you didn't intend to be? Yeah, likely. Most of us have. In fact, that's, that's part of life, isn't it? Just sort of ending up somewhere we didn't intend to be. And you ask the question, how did I get here? How did we get here. Maybe it was in a relationship. Maybe it was in a business endeavor. Maybe it was in some other thing. But I think we've all experienced that feeling of setting out for some sort of goal or something in mind with something in mind and you end up somewhere entirely unplanned and unintended. I was thinking about that as we, as we begin today and I was reminded of a time when I was uh, 16 years old and my cousins and I decided, having grown up at a place in Browns Flat, New Brunswick, spending our summers at a place called Beulah Camp. Some of you know about Beulah Camp. Others of you have no idea. But this was a beautiful place on the St. John River where I spent my childhood summers. And one year we decided, you know what? We've been looking at this river and swimming off this wharf our whole lives. Let's swim to the other wharf on the other side. And so there's a wharf on the other side, and that's a, a, that is one nautical mile, which works out to be about two miles, or two kilometers, sorry. And so what we, what we did, we had my dad take us over in his boat, and they took us to the other wharf, and we all sort of counted to ten and jumped in, and we began our traverse across the mighty St. John River. And now, I was thinking about that this year, swimming, swimming with my kids. There is no way this man makes it across alive anymore. That was a major swim and so we get out there, and we're like, I don't know, 45 minutes, maybe even an hour into this swim. We're just having fun, just some boys out on the river. Dad's sort of half watching, not really. I don't even know what he was doing. But we're out there just paddling away, kind of doggy paddling across the, across the river. And then one of us decides to, to sort of look up toward where we thought we were heading, and we realized that we'd actually drifted as far downriver as we'd come across river. And so we'd actually spent as much time heading off course as we were heading towards where we thought we were going. And I thought this was a real picture because we had that, that thought, like how did we end up here? And today I want to talk to you about fighting the drift that so happens in our lives so that we can end up where we actually hope to be. And that's really what this 246 Reformation is all about. We're in this series we're calling the 246 Reformation. Now just keep this, this picture of me and my cousin somewhere off to the side here trying to get back on course. We'll come back to that analogy in just a minute. But to catch you up on the 246 Reformation, we're talking about shaping our lives 
What does it look like to follow Jesus in 2020? This is the question we're asking ourselves. What does it look like to follow Jesus in 2020? We ask another question like this. What is shaping us? We talked about being in COVID shape last week. Or maybe being shaped by our fears or shaped by other things. What is shaping us? And we realize something, that the invitation of Christianity is to not be shaped according to the patterns of this world, but to be shaped into the likeness of Christ by the renewing of our minds. And that's really the call of every Christian. And so over these weeks, we began last week talking with the first component of four things that I'm going to talk about that really bring, that God uses to bring shape, his shape into our lives. And last week we talked about this thing called time. How God has these specific God-appointed moments where he establishes something unique in an appointed time. We talked about the Kairos moment. And we believe that right now God is using this time that we're in to reform and transform his church unto renewal. Can I get an amen? We believe God's bringing about revival. And so we're, we, we said that actually coronavirus is one form of the way God is bringing refinement and testing and causing us to ask questions and grapple with the reality of what does it look like to be a Christian here and now. And we said no matter what, we cannot afford to lock down our faith and we can't social distance our relationship with God. And so it's our job and it's the job of every church, every believer to reframe, reshape, and reform what it looks like to express your allegiance to Jesus in the time that you live. And that's really the question that we're asking. We said it like this, that, you know what, yesterday's forms can't always carry today's fires. And that we need a today faith. And so thus the call to reform, that we've got to ask those questions every so often. And this is a moment that I believe God is doing that. And so we said, okay, well, if we're going to reshape our church and we're going to kind of, you know, evolve, so to speak, how do we do that? And we said, well, really the way forward is to go backwards and is to look at what God has already established in his word. We don't want to just sort of eyeball this thing, and we'll speak more to that in just a minute. We want to get what God has already given us, and he's given us the blueprint to be able to assemble the materials so that we can live this Christian life. And so we went back to Acts chapter 2. And we found out that all kinds of things sort of typified the first Christians. But specifically, we said, taking this verse, Acts 2.46, is where we get the 2.46 Reformation, in case anybody's wondering where'd you get that title. It says this, that every day they, the Christians, the first Christians, there were 3,000 plus at this time, they continued to meet together in the temple courts, And they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. And we said that, you know what, this is is one way of sort of distilling what the rhythms and the practices of the first Christian life looked like. That really, it was formed around these two expressions, the temple and the table. And we said the temple, it's one way to think about our our vertical relationship with God. It's, It's worship. It's the Sunday service. It's that moment of encounter with God's holiness and grandeur. It's the way that we integrate our lives with heaven. Now we said the table, though, is equally as, as important. Like when Jesus said, look, here's the great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And we said this, that the Christian life is both expressed vertically, temple, and horizontally, table. That, that community is actually part of the Christian life. That, that, yes, the temple is where we practice the presence of God, and the table is the place where the people of God are expressed. 
That the temple is a place where liturgy and ritual and that stuff happens. And the table is a place where community and relational things happen. That the temple is where the forms and the framework take shape. And the table is a place where friends and family shape our faith. And so we said there's these two distinct expressions that really undergird the whole Christian life. And so we've been asking the question for ourselves, how do we take these timeless truths of temple and table, and how do we form it into modern expressions? And so for us, that looks like two things. It looks like Sunday service or weekend service, some type of temple expression. And it looks like this thing that we're launching called Home Church. I'm going to be speaking more about that in the weeks to come. But right now, let me just do a plug. It is not too early to join a home church. We believe this is going to be the best thing for your spiritual shape and growth and life coming into this season. So if you want to, you can, for a limited time only, text HOME to 833-517. I feel like the ShamWow Slap Chop guy. But yeah, join a home church. But we've been asking this question, though. What does it look like? So I want to talk today about temple. I want to talk for a few minutes about this temple expression. And for us, the temple right now is expressed in a few ways. There's, there's literally will be several thousand of you that tune in today online. But there are a growing amount of people who are joining in, in clusters, in homes, and in other spaces, having watch parties, which will soon be home church slash watch parties, which is really cool. And then there's a growing group of people who are now kind of re-entering into live gatherings, which is awesome. Can I get a woohoo to the people at the Valley location? Yes, yes. It's awesome to be together. And so we're asking these questions, though, and I want to speak for a few minutes today about the temple. And I want to ask three questions. What is it? Why is the temple so important, this temple expression, so to speak? And I'll I'll explain a little bit more about that. And then how does it get expressed in the reality of your life? So what is it? Why is it so important? And how does it get expressed or take shape in your life? The title of my message, for those of you who are note takers, you can write this down, is Shaped by Worship. And if I had a secondary title, I would call it Fighting the Drift. Here's the big idea. I'll give it to you up front. The big idea is that consistent Jesus-aimed worship is the keystone of all life. That consistent, Jesus-oriented worship is the keystone of all life. Here's the first question let's ask. What is the temple? What is it? And what did temple mean to the first Christians. So we, we looked at it, Acts 2.46. You got it memorized now, right? They met in the temple and they gathered in their homes and broke bread at the table. We remember that. And so let's ask the question, why, what was this for the first Christians? Why did they meet in the temple? Why was that a thing? Well, there were some practical reasons for that. God had done a new thing. The temple was ground zero for the movement. It was a designated space that could actually accommodate that many people. In Jerusalem, at that time, there was only one place that 3,000 or more people could gather, and that was in the temple courts. So very practically speaking, it's like, hey, we're all going to meet at the temple tomorrow. So there was that reason. It was also a designated time. It's like, you're going to meet at the temple tomorrow at noon. It was a way they could congregate and mass gather themselves in a coordinated way. And then what happened as the time went on, we find out in first century church history that it went from this maybe everyday sort of organic thing where they started to sort of institute a cadence and a rhythm, and they decided that Sunday was going to be the temple day. Now, that was a shift for those Christians because they grew up Jewish, and Jewish, the Jewish tradition believes that the the Lord's day is actually Saturday. The Sabbath to a Jew is Saturday. 
But the Christians, because Jesus rose on Sunday, said this is the day we're going to keep sacred under the Lord. And this is the day that we're going to gather together as the collective community of faith. And so throughout now Christian history, Sunday has been our day. It's been the day that we keep sacred unto the Lord. So there was practical reasons, but more than that, and this is really where I want to get for a minute, is that there were formation reasons as to why the first Christians practiced the temple. Now, did it occur to anybody to ask the question, why did the first Christians go to the temple if they believed that Jesus had destroyed the temple and rebuilt it in himself? Anybody know your Bible that well? If you know the Gospels, Jesus himself said, he pointed at the temple one day teaching there, and he says, you destroy this in three days. He goes, you destroy this, and in three days, I'm going to rebuild it. And he was speaking about what he came to do. He came to end the old covenant and begin a new covenant and where he himself is the temple. Now, for a good Jew, what was the temple? The temple was the place where heaven and earth intersect. That's what the temple was. It was the place where God's glory was revealed. It was the place where you were made right or reconciled with God through sacrifice. The temple was the center of Jewish worship. That's what it was. It was a place of mediation, of connection with God. It was a place of reconciliation and restoration. The temple was a place of sacrifice and worship and praise and atonement, where sacrifices were made to atone for sins accrued. That's, that's what happened at the temple. The, the temple was a place of consecration, a place that was set apart and made holy unto the Lord. It was the Lord's space and time where you came in on his terms and you reset yourself according to his his reality. That's what the temple was. And then Jesus comes along and says, I'm going to actually not just sort of do away with it. I'm going to fulfill the whole thing. And now the temple is mobile. It's in me. And so when you come to me, you're coming to the place where heaven and earth intersect. You're coming to the place where you are reconciled back to God. This is the gospel. You're coming to the place where sacrifice has been made to atone for your sins. Can I get an amen? That's in Jesus. You're coming to the place of consecration. You're coming to the holy place. It's not in a, a building. It's in a person. It's in Jesus. Now stay with me. Then Jesus tells the church, those of you who follow me, you are going to form my body. And I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is going to come, and he is going to dwell in you. He's not going to dwell in brick and mortar. He's going to dwell in flesh and blood. He's going to fall upon you. You will be my temple, and you will carry the Holy Spirit. And now there is no sacred places. There's sacred people. And where those sacred people go, places become sacred. That's the design of Jesus. So let's back up now that we're, we've got a, a crash course on temple. Why were Christians still going to the temple? That, that begs the question, and here's why. Because in Christ, the place of the temple had been redefined. However, the purpose of the temple remained. The place of the temple had been redefined. It was now malleable. It was moving. It could change. It could morph. It could go other places. But the purpose remained. There still needed to be this place at the center of Christian life where the body came together as one. It just moved from a building into a body. The purpose was still there. And here's the deal. Every believer's life is formed around and is formed around this designated space and time where we worship God consistently. 
And for the first Christians, temple worship was about this cadence or rhythm of God encounters that can only happen when the people of God come together. That's what it was all about. In another word, let me say it like this. Temple is the place where we have alignment with heaven. It's that space and time where the body of Christ comes together and becomes aligned with heaven and his reality, his glory is made manifest among us. That's what the temple is. That's the temple. It's about alignment with God. So let's ask this question. Why does the temple matter? Well, I'm already speaking to it a little bit, but why is it crucial that we fight to give God space, attention, and time every week. Again, it takes different forms and shapes, doesn't it? In the past, you know what? They gathered at the temple courts in Jerusalem. And we find out through Christian history, they were, they were actually persecuted in Jerusalem. They had to go underground for a while. And they went into different cities and they formed different spaces and places where they would worship. But wherever Christians went throughout the centuries, they always found common ground together to worship God. Always. Every week. In fact... Christians throughout the centuries have died to worship with one another. In fact, around the world right now, there are still people risking life and limb to gather together as the temple of the living God. And so here's the question. Why is that so important? Why was it so important to the first Christians? And why does it matter for us right now? Here it is. Because if we don't gather together every single week as the temple, and we we practice the purposes and patterns of God as we worship him, we will drift inevitably toward destruction. We will gradually drift. Another way to say it is this. You cannot eyeball your walk with God. You can't eyeball it. You can't, eh, close enough. You, You can't gut this thing. You can't shoot from the hip when it comes to following Jesus. It is a precision task. You are following a person who has teachings, who has a will, who has a now voice, who might say, do this and then do that. It is much more complicated than just, eh, I feel this or that. If you do not have this kind of temple pattern, you will gradually go off course. This brings me back to the St. John River. This is a picture of me and my cousins. I did not get permission from my shirtless cousins. Um, Sorry, guys. But this is me in the gray shirt, and these are my three cousins after we swam across the river. We did not drown, none of us. All of us survived. And uh, we made it across. But what we learned when we got halfway out, so here we are halfway out and halfway down the river now, and we realized after that moment that if we did not consistently come up for air and make sure that we were on target, we were going to keep drifting, that the current was very powerful and that we had to be very intentional or we were not going to have enough energy to swim the, the length of the river. And so we, instead of just backstrokes and paddling along and laughing, we actually decided, okay, we've got to put our heads down and then every so often we're going to come up and make sure we're on. And if we were going off course, we'd get back on alignment because this was the only way we were going to be able to actually do it. We had to, had to come up for air and dial in. And this is what weekly gatherings do for us. Weekly gatherings, mass worship, when we come together and we give God Sunday, even those of you who are in your basement right now, you're like, this doesn't feel too holy to me. My kid's playing Paw Patrol. My dog just barfed. This doesn't feel too too sacred. There is something potent and powerful about giving God that space. It's really not what happens there. It's that it happens consistently. It keeps you dialed in. It keeps you aligned. Worship, these Sunday gatherings, it's when we come up for air. 
It's when we take sight of the goal. It's when we take aim so we don't allow the currents of this world to push us off course. Here's what I know to be true. In my Christian life, and I suspect you felt this too, it's very easy to drift. It is very easy to drift. We're prone to it. I've had a lot of interesting conversations throughout COVID with some people, especially people who haven't been online, so you're not listening right now anyway. I've bumped into some King's Church people, and you're like, oh, I can't do the online things. Like, talk to me when you get back in real church. And, and like, I'll hear things like, I'm taking a break right now until things get back to normal. Or I miss church the way it was when I could check my kids in and you'd park my cars and you'd give me a coffee and my seat was there. I miss all that. And so like, I'm waiting till I get back to normal, but my, 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 in my gut and in my mind, what I, what I hear when you say that is there's a problem with that logic. And that is this, that the currents of this life aren't waiting until we get back to normal. That, that there is no idol. There's no treading water in the kingdom. You can't hold your place. What is happening right now as you've let off the gas of giving God that consistent space to be God in your life, what happens is you start drifting the way the currents of this world start pushing. Your life is not static. You can't tread water and hold your spot. You will see yourself drift. I've seen it in COVID. I'm seeing it right now. I've seen it pre-COVID. It didn't take coronavirus. I, I saw this pattern long ago. I've had so many families or individuals come and say, we're just going to take a break from church. And I, when I hear that, I fear for your trajectory. Not because I believe that church is perfect or you need to come see me every week. I know what the rhythm of church does for you. And the moment you get out of that, you start to lose sight. And I've seen it time and time again. Families, individuals drifting off and they end up in a place they never intended to. You think I'm being over-fatalistic, but I'm telling you, I've seen it way too many times to not recognize it as a pattern. I even talked to Pastor Adam about this at CR. Happens all the time. People will come, they'll get in the rhythm, they'll never miss. They're getting help, they're getting healed, they're getting whole. And then something happens where they're like, eh, I'm going to skip this week. And they start skipping and they start missing. And then what happens is just ever so subtly, they come twice a month, once a quarter, once a year. And then they just fall off the grid. And then what happens so easily is we fall back in. Here's the thing. Your heart is not idle. It will find a new target. It will look for something else to chase. And so this is why it's so important. The rhythms of church, the rhythms of worship fight back against the currents of this world. You realize there are currents pushing against you, do you not? Like you realize that... This world is not just playing along with your intentions or your Christianity. Oh, you're a Christian now. Let me get out of the way. That's not, that's not what the world does. There are forces in this world, destructive currents, and it's just so easy to drift down those paths. I mean, it says in the scripture, it tells us that uh, Proverbs 14, this is one of, my, one of my just most chilling verses because it just reminds me, don't trust yourself. It says there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end, its end is the way of death. So there are things that are going to seem, oh, it's good that we take some time off. Oh, you know, online church isn't that great, so I'm just going to take a break. That seems right. But it's saying, look, don't trust your intellect. Don't trust your heart. Jesus said it like this, enter through the narrow gate. This is specific followership. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it, but narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. This is precision following. 
what ha- these are, this, is, this is what, where the rubber meets the road. There are destructive currents that are pushing up against you. And if you aren't intentional, you will go down that wide road. Look what it said. Look at this. I was thinking about what are some of the currents that are pushing against you right now? Maybe you never thought about it like this. But these things are right now working against the will of God in your life. There's, there's secular culture. This culture that you live in is not forming you in the, in the likeness of Christ. It's forming you in its image. It's ideologies. It's pushing back against you. It's pushing back against the life of the kingdom. It's telling, it's giving you idols. It's saying, do this, drink this, buy this, be this, get that like, be with that person. It's telling you all these things that the kingdom of God and the king himself might not be saying. The world pushes against you. You know what else pushed back against you? Your feelings, your desires, your urges. Look, I know that, that it's like, this is the you do you era. And who am I to tell you that you shouldn't just follow your heart? But I'll just stand on the word and say that the Bible says your heart is deceptively wicked. That you will convince yourself that something is good that is not good for you. Has anybody lived long enough to just convince yourself into something terrible? Like, oh yeah, no, this is good. Has anybody tried to convince a loved one that that guy is bad news? That girl is poison. Get away from her, right? Like, Has anybody? No? Okay, back up on that one. Your feelings, your fears, your anxieties will push you around. When we come together and we worship, it's one of the ways that we kind of reset and we push back against it. Your relationships, your family, your friends, your colleagues, your acquaintances, they will push you. They will cause you to drift off course. They might not even be trying to do it intentionally. It's just math. I mean, you've heard the quote, you know, show me your five, you know, show me your friends, I'll show you your future. Or you're the average of the five most influential people in your life. It's just gravity. It pushes you. It pulls you. It prods you. And then, of course, there's just distractions. And this is a major thing we need to understand in our day. You realize that the devil doesn't primarily destroy Christians with bad things. He distracts them with good things that aren't God things. Let me say that again so you get it because that's very important. The devil generally doesn't just come out and destroy you with bad things. Oh, here's this. This will destroy you. You just don't fall for that. What we fall for is when he presents us a good thing that's not a God thing, and we treat it as such, and he distracts us, and we drift. That's how it works. And so this is the reality. The Christian life is about taking aim at God. And this is the purpose of the temple. This is what worship does. It's that moment where we, like, I'm, like you're swimming across the river, you come up for air and say, yes, this is the way, walk in it. So here's, here, really quick, I'm going to be done in a second. I know this is, this is major content, but this is important that our church gets this before we sort of reestablish any new rhythms. You need to understand the purpose and the why behind what we do and why it's so important. Why does the temple matter? Why is it so crucial that we fight to give God space and time every single week? Well, there's three things I want to highlight, and I'm going to go fast. You're like, three things? You're almost done, aren't you? Here it is. First thing is this about the temple. The temple is about calibrating. It's about alignment. I've spoken to this. It's about aiming our lives intentionally. It's about specifically aligning our reality with the standards and the reality of who God is. It's about aligning your mind your body as you worship, as you actually take a posture of worship, and about aligning your heart with God, with Jesus. That's what it is. It's about alignment. Do you know what, you know what sin in the original like, language actually like, translates as? It's to miss the mark. 
When we worship, we are realigning with the mark. That's what's happening. We need this rhythmic, consistent course correction to follow Jesus. Because here's what I know to be true. My aim gets very iffy very fast. I need it every week. And this is why the first Christians felt that. I, I went camping this past weekend. In fact, I was on a fishing trip. And there were no fish. So what do four dudes do when there's no fish? You shoot stuff, of course. So we got the guns out and we started shooting things. Not, not living things, get, you know, anyway. We started shooting targets and trees and stuff and cans and skeets and all the fun things. And so we got shooting things and we realized that one of the guns was really off kilter. It, wasn't, it just wasn't. It wasn't us. There was enough misses. We're like, no, this gun is off. This isn't our fault. And so we got the binoculars out and we put the gun on a stand and we, we made a target and then we shot and we started adjusting the sight and we started getting it adjusted and aligned. And that's really what's happening when you come and you worship and you sit under the word. You're aligning your sights. That's what church does. That's what gathering does. That's what the temple is to do. It calibrates your mind on God's truth. It aligns it with God's truth. How easy is it this week to go back out and to watch the news and just start living by the truth of, that, that CNN tells you? Coronavirus is taking over the world. The economy is going to be shut down. Trump, Biden, ah, right? Like whatever. And you start freaking out by reading the headlines. What happens when you come in and worship and you start saying things like, the Lord is in the heavens and the earth is his footstool. That he's above it all. That God is God. Fear is not. God is God. Coronavirus is not. It's lining in your sights. It calibrates your body. Look, this is more like worship. When you come to worship, it's more than just intellectualism and even emotionalism. There is a very real physiological thing that is happening when you posture yourself and you humble yourself and you lift your hands and worship. It's actually aligning your life. It gives God access. This is the universal sign of surrender. And when you do this and you lift your voice to God, you are giving him permission to invade every other part of your life. This is why I will never let off of those of you who say, this is just how I worship. No, it's not. It's how you worship you. It's how you worship your fears or your fears of other people's opinions. But when the king of kings is before you, this is how you worship. That's how you worship. And when you do that, you're posturing, aligning yourself to receive it also calibrates your heart. And this is a whole other message for another day. I'd love to talk about how worship calibrates your heart. But here's what you know to be true. You are what you love. You know, there's that old, like, is it like Rene Descartes? I think, therefore I am. That's not true. You love, therefore you are. And he asked a smoker, right? Like a smoker will go down to the convenience store Go behind the hidden things. They don't even have them out to see anymore. you got to ask for the secret stash. And then you get it, and there's those gangly teeth or the broken brain on it. And you're like, you know it's bad. I think that it's bad, but I want the cigarettes, right? Like, it's, it's your wanting. What worship does is it deals with the most fundamental challenge of being Christian. The challenge of being Christian is we have jacked up wantings, don't we? We have jacked up longings. We have things that if we let our heart have its druthers would take us to some very dark places. And so when we worship God and we allow the light of his countenance, the glory of God to come in, it begins to reshape and recurate and recalibrate our loves. 
Look, the way to get victory in any area over any sin is actually through worship. It's through getting in his presence and abiding with him so that his life gets into your life and his ideas get into your mind and his longings get into your longing. This is why Jesus says, I want to give you a heart of flesh. It curates our hearts. Second thing the temple does is this. I told you I was going fast. The temple or weekly worship, it's a place of meeting. Not just meeting each other, but actually meeting God. It's, it's about incarnational assembly, that something happens that when you come together and I come together for the purpose of encountering Jesus, he shows up. He does. Now, it, you and I can come together and not be there for Jesus and he not show up at all, really. Like, I've been in places where it's like, I don't know who you're singing to, but he ain't here. But man, when you come in humility and expectation, say, I am here for Jesus. Where two or more are gathered, Jesus says, I am there in their midst. And I have been in rooms before. There is nothing like the glory of God when he shows up. I'm telling you, I have been in rooms of five people where we could hardly move because the glory of God was so thick. And I'll tell you, I have seen the most glorious things, the most glorious man-made experiences that you could ever imagine. Like I, I saw the U2 360 tour twice. I've seen Coldplay. I've seen Tim McGraw. I've seen all kinds of people. <laughs> sorry, I had to, sorry, Mel. Um, but here's what I've I found. E, I, even the ones that I love, like I, I was, Coldplay had been my favorite band for the longest time, although their new album just kind of sucks. But anyway, I was at their concert loving it, but I was like, you know what? Church is better than this. Church is better. I've been in rooms with way worse musicianship and terrible technology, and it wasn't even excellent, but it was authentic, and the Spirit came, and everything changed. That's what happens when we meet together. It's this, this place of glory where it, it can only happen when we come together. I'll tell you this quick story because it just, it just identifies what I'm trying to talk about. When, when we were in lockdown, you know, we would have just five of us show up at the Valley location so we could broadcast and, and we could worship together on Wednesday nights and we'd have service for us on Sundays. And then when in New Brunswick, they, they expanded it, said you can have 10 people. What we started doing was uh, inviting some of our prayer warriors and intercessors to come in and be in the room while we worship, just as not just a gift to them to be able to worship with other people, but to, to join in with us as we interceded for our church. And I remember the first week we invited, like there's maybe five or six of them that showed up. And the difference on their face when they left, their countenance was different an hour after they came. You literally could see a shift in their countenance because they got in the presence of God with other people. You cannot recreate it. It cannot be rivaled. There's something that only happens when we come together. I've been in rooms with five dialed in. It's incredible. And you know what I found to be true? It's harder to have more people all dialed in, but the more the merrier. Like, I, I've been in a room, my friend Anthony and I and our wives, we went, we went to the Bethel Conference a few years ago in Los Angeles, and I have never been in a room with 5,000 people that hungry for the presence. And I'll tell you what, the Bible says if you seek, you will find. If you hunger, he will, he will, get, he will feed you. And I was in a room with 5,000 plus, just, it was hungry people. You could hardly lift your head up. The weight of glory was so palpable. And that's the picture you get in Revelation 7. There's going to come a day where, where you can't count the multitude of us all gathered together in one assembly. Revelation 7. Read it when you get home today or some of you are already home. Pull it up. Revelation 7. Read it. it tells us every tribe, tongue, people, and nation gathered around the Lamb, worshiping Him forever and ever and ever. I'll tell you what, it's not boring. 
It's not some eternal church service that never gets over. It's the most powerful, potent, amazing, life-giving experience you could ever imagine. That's what happens. And look, I'm excited for the days when we can gather the hundreds and the thousands again. Can I get an amen? I'm so excited. And they're coming back. Do not be discouraged. And I know we're talking about change, and this is a very important time. There will come a day where there are large gatherings again. I'm believing it, and in fact, it's going to be back better than ever. I'm convinced of that. But God is getting us ready for more people. And here's what I know to be true. Yes, I can't wait for that day, but I can't wait for that day. Little play on words there. Oh, I can't wait, but I can't wait. Like, I have to worship him now. I have to give him Sunday now. Even though I can't check my kids in. Even though I can't go like I want to. Maybe you're high risk and you are stuck at home. It is what it is, but you cannot afford to just sign off and wait. You will drift. You can't wait. You have to engage in this regular rhythm. And so you've got to ask that question. How are you practicing temple? Here's the final thought today. Number three, the temple is a place of teaching. It's a place of instruction. It's about instructive authority. It is probably short of your workspace, and this, and, and this should be much more sacred than your boss. This should be the one time in your life where fundamentally you come in and you give up your right to be right. You give up your authority and you say, Lord, speak to me, have your way, correct me, direct me, change me by the power of your word. That's what happens when we come together. And central to the temple expression is this idea of the authority of the word. It says it right in Acts 2. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So right there from the beginning... It wasn't just me and Jesus. It wasn't, it wasn't like it was them devoting themselves to the word coming through the apostles. That was there. There was this exchange happening through surrender and yielding to the authority of the word. The gathering, the meeting place, the temple, so to speak, is the place where you hear, trust, and obey. It's where you hear, trust, and obey, and you surrender to what God has said. Talk about swimming against the current. Isn't that against culture, like, so much? Isn't there something in you that, even as I say that, like, sort of saying, hey, does that dude want me to submit to him? Is that what he's really saying? No, I'm not saying you need to submit to me. I'm saying you need to submit to this. And it doesn't matter whether it's me or Seth or any of our other pastors. That's why when I sit and I listen to Pastor Seth or any of our pastors preach, I sit just like you, even though that's my employee. I'm not surrendering to Seth. I'm surrendering to the word that God gave him. That's why it's so important in this season for you to lean into what God is saying to this house. Because I'll tell you what, I'm thankful for T.D. Jakes. I'm thankful for Stephen Furtick. I'm thankful for those global voices. They are a gift to the kingdom, but they aren't speaking to Atlantic Canada. They aren't speaking to you. God is through us. It's very important that you understand that. This is the place where the temple, that at the temple, the word of God comes, the authoritative, local revelation of the word of God. And I believe there's never been a time more important. You know, one of the things I think that God is going to do in this season for us, I actually think he's, he, I already know he's doing it in my heart and the heart of our leaders, is that we really just need to double down on this vision God has given us for Atlantic Canada. That God has given us a word and God has given us a mission for this region. And, and I believe that never has there been a time 
where we need to gather and hear the word of God and hear what he has to say to us. So this is why it's so important. This is why we have to practice the temple. This is why the temple was essential for the first Christians and has been essential throughout the ages. This is why every generation of believers have had to find and figure out a new way to express that old truth every time. Whether it was in the temple courts in Jerusalem or it was in Samaria out in the fields, whether it was throughout the ages when they started building big and beautiful cathedrals or when it was little country churches starting to be established on on preaching routes when they made that happen throughout New England and throughout even Atlantic Canada. Whether it's in big modern church buildings like I'm sitting in today or whether it's in home churches or backyards, wherever the place where the people of God gather, it becomes sacred. This is why worship is an essential service. Three questions, and I'm going to pray. Question number one is this. What is shaping your life most profoundly and consistently? What is shaping your life most profoundly and consistently? And how do you know? Do you assume you are swimming in the right direction? Have you come up for air? Maybe you know somebody that's just sort of like fallen off the grid. Maybe you need to send them this message. Have you been drifting? Check your standards. You know, that's a great practice. I was saying it to a brother earlier this week. Whenever you have an encounter with God, you should always mark, this isn't in my notes, but this is important. You should always mark the things that you naturally are doing. Those become new standards, new high watermarks that God establishes because there'll come a day where you'll start to drift off course. And one of the ways you can find yourself drifting off course is if you stop doing things that you were naturally doing when you last encountered the Spirit. Or you start doing things you never would have done at that moment at the altar. It's when your standards start taking a dive, but God's haven't moved. That's one of the ways you can tell you're drifting. And worship brings us back. The good news about Jesus is He doesn't make you swim the length of the river back against the current. He follows you and you turn to him and you call out to him and he breathes fresh life into you right where you're at. That's the good news about this invitation. Maybe you have been drifting and you've drifted way off course. You don't have to swim back up. What you have to do is call upon Jesus, start to worship him, make this a priority again and he will meet you right there. He'll bring new life and refreshment into you. Last question, how are you going to temple? How are you going to practice the temple rhythmically and intentionally this season? Some of you are high risk and you, you, you just aren't ready to leave your house and I understand that. And so you're gonna need to, I get it, we're all tired of digital screens, I am, but you, you cannot afford to drift. So you gotta press in, you gotta do what you gotta do. Some of you, you're like, you know what? I'm gonna, I, I'm not ready to maybe, like, I got kids and it doesn't sound that great to try to wrangle my kids at, at grown-up church. So maybe, maybe, you know, maybe for you, you need to start or join a home church or go to a watch party. You have to figure out how to express this in your life in this season. What are you gonna do? How are you going to express temple? And here's the good news. For a lot of you, you can start coming back to gatherings. We're, we're now gathering at the Valley location. There are people here today Sundays, Thursday nights, and then in Halifax, we're squaring things up, trying to get things going in September, West St. John in September. I know Pastor John in Charlottetown is going to be having more and more worship gatherings happening and house parties. So there's no excuse other than your excuse. And so now is the time where we need to take like ownership and express this temple reality here and now 
in COVID 2020. So let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your design. And Lord, we ask for forgiveness for times we've short-sold it because for whatever reason, whether it's our own bitterness and criticism, whether it's our own disappointment, whether it's laziness, fatigue, whatever it is, we just, we just kind of reject those excuses and we say, God, you have set a standard. You've said, you know, keep this day holy unto me. God, we aren't exempt because we're in this like COVID season. And so God, I pray for every person tuning in today or under the sound of my voice that you give them strategy, insight, and discipline to be able to establish your rightful place before them every single week so that it not just fills them up on Sunday, but it gives them a Monday to Saturday faith that is lined in with the kingdom reality that you've set. And so God, I pray this in Jesus' name. Would you just give us creativity? Would you prompt people to join home churches even right now? Would you call people back out of maybe their excuses? Maybe they need to start coming back to a live gathering, whatever it is. Would you help us? Because we cannot afford to not be in that place, in that temple space where your glory is revealed, your word is given, and we are aligned with your truth. We thank you for your word in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.